Hi, Sam. Hey, Julia. How's it going? Pretty good. Who did we talk to today? We talked to Brandon Michael Loudon. He is a musical theater writer. And he writes book music lyrics just like his initials say. Oh, my God. Should we listen in? Yeah. Yeah, and it was. I, actually, I think it was before I really knew you. I think it was before I knew either of you, but like oh, yeah. just before. You guys, let's talk about how we know each other. <laughs> yeah, let, is that how we should start? Yeah. We, we've started, I, haven't we? Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. You I trick, mean, you trick I mean, the host, the, the guest into. <laughs> we get you so comfortable, like we clearly are, and then we just. How yeah. did you guys meet? We met in. Now I'm gonna get it wrong. I feel like we really met in Musical Theater Factory Writers Group. Yeah. Like, we sort of, we knew who each other were. We actually, you know how Prospect Theater Company, one of the many things they do, they did, it was a concert where we all had to write songs inspired by the news. Uh And I remember that you and Gordon and I all wanted to write about the same obscure article about a Japanese robot dog. Oh, right. (laughs) So we knew you as someone who, like... Had taste like ours. <laughs> yes, and also as someone who had vultured that song topic from you, if I recall, because it, everyone was assigned a different portion of the newspaper, a different section. And I believe you were given science or technology or whatever mm-hmm. it really was, and I was given business. And that article, like, it was probably printed in the tech section, but it was linked to from the business online page mm-hmm. and i of course have never touched a physical newspaper that's not true i mean i just haven't in many years and so i was like obviously i'm gonna do the only article in business section that remotely interests me <laughs> <laughs> which is about robot dogs and that of course uh, that, uh you know then i met you guys and they said oh you're or you're the one who who did the robot dog song that we wanted to do. And I thought, oh, no. <laughs> uh, but I, I also knew of you from before that, and uh, because we had both gone to the uh, graduate musical theater writing program at NYU, though you had both been a few years before me. But mm-hmm. I knew we knew many of the same people, so you were familiar names to me. Um, and then we really, really met in the musical theater factory writing group, one of many writers groups which Gordon and Julia are a part of. <laughs> we love writers groups. <laughs> but sure I feel do. like there's always that thing in writers groups where like sometimes you have that like beautiful thing where every single project in a writers group like speaks to you. But some other times I feel like you identify like people in the writers group and you're like, oh like we're maybe on the same wavelength. But I feel like early on I was like, oh I want to make Brandon like my friend. I like his project yeah. and I like him. Oh yes. I, I felt this the feeling was mutual. And um, I'm very pleased that uh you know what came out of that was was a fruitful friendship mm-hmm. that I have enjoyed very much. Um, you and I also met through the musical theater factory. We did. Because Hannah and I were doing a reading together at the factory, which you came and saw, and then came up to me after and said, hey, will you sing in my concert in a week? (laughs) That is a true story. That's how I met you. Um, And, you know, that might be the sort of canonical way to meet Sam Hell, (laughs) in a way. Uh, It's happened a few times. (laughs) Not not with such quick turnaround ever. but (laughs) But, yeah. But he's he's. That's actually how I met the person who wrote the show I was doing the reading of. 
she saw me in a reading of Julia's show and said, I really like you. And then later on asked me to work with her. I love that. The canonical (laughs) way of meeting Sam (laughs) Hell. So you didn't even know about his superpower to learn quickly. It just worked out. No, it just worked out. Yeah. I mean, that, that, that turned out to be great. And I, I imagined that he probably had such, or at least some, quick learning ability because I feel like in order to carry off those four by 15s, you, you kind of have to, that wasn't a four by 15. Oh, that was teeth. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yes. So, but still, but it's still a very, very quick process. And, and teeth, of course, uh, you know, your performance was, was very good. And so I I was judging it to some degree by that, you know, um, that's, you know, I was I wasn't I didn't ask you just because you were the only person who who was available. I, you know, I clearly was like, oh, he seems great. Mm-hmm. And I think it's it's very possible that Hannah had had primed the pump there and had I mentioned had, like knew that I was looking for someone and might have been. Might have said, oh, you should ask this guy, Sam, who's in this reading with me. I bet he'd be good. Um, she'll get her commission later yeah yeah <laughs> <laughs> i'm possibly making that up but it's it's never wrong to give her credit <laughs> so um, this is an interesting thing i feel like you have a lovely and very talented girlfriend named hannah who you live with who is, is a performer and you guys are you know very much in the same industry yeah do you feel like did that just like did you guys like evolve into like working together all the time or I, you know, it's interesting because when we first met, we didn't meet through any kind of theater thing. We met through a mutual friend who huh. was a theater person, uh, but we met just socially uh, through a series of, of holiday parties. And I knew she was an actor and singer, and she knew that I was a writer, but... Uh, and I'm trying to think how we first actually ended up doing anything where our work was being put together. Because now I can't think of it. I, this is a thing I feel like I should have prepared. I could have known you would ask me about this. but <laughs> It's not even on my prepared question list. So oh, my goodness. You, would oh, have, you had have a prepared question list. Oh, I do. I, I, I let it be known that I emailed Julia and said, is there anything I should be prepared to talk about? And she said, nope. But it's, but it's not questions like, what's your favorite show? Where, like, you have to have an answer. Oh, it's okay. questions like... To drive... Just to, like, you know, open the open the floodgates of discussion. Right. I didn't have my prepared question list until about 20 minutes ago. Oh, okay. <laughs> so, it's a, you know, I feel less bad then. Um, anyway, I do remember when I first saw her perform something, I said to her afterward... I'm so relieved you're really good uh-huh. <laughs> because if she hadn't been, I, I, I can't lie. I'm a terrible, terrible liar. So she would have known, like I would never have been, that would have maybe ended it. I don't know. I don't think it would yeah, have because been. Also wouldn't it change even like, I feel like when you're like dating someone, it makes you like them more to like be like, and they're fantastic at what they do. Yeah. And if they're not, it, I mean, when I see people perform who should not be doing it, I want to pull them aside and say, I mean, I never, I would never do this, <laughs> but I want to pull them aside and say, maybe dentistry. Yeah. You know, I, it's har- It's harmful for me, me in some way to have to 
watch someone do something they're not good at and it's more painful for me to think about how how difficult that is for them yeah that, like I feel like they're suffering and they don't realize it and, and I'm curious about this to Sam as an actor do you feel like there are people who shouldn't be doing that like do you feel like you can pick them out of a crowd that's an interesting question. I mean, sometimes I wonder if I shouldn't be doing it just because <laughs> no. just just because there's no set, you know, rubric for like ticking off the boxes for mm -hmm. what makes a good performer. So sometimes you feel super great about what you do and you feel like you should be, you know, the most famous actor ever. And other times you're like, should I become an accountant or I should speak for myself. Other times I'm like, should <laughs> I become an accountant? <laughs> Um, but, I uh, there, I mean, I, I guess I would say that currently I feel like I work with people who have sort of like crossed a threshold mm -hmm. where the people that I'm working with who are, you know, getting the actors together have a certain, um, um, uh, aesthetic maybe is the right word or just like, um, uh, type of thing that they respond to in actors performances that I feel great about all the people that I tend to work with um, but there are definitely people who you just wonder if they're ever gonna get there it makes me wonder but I don't work with those people anymore <laughs> it does make me wonder if there's a whole like shadow economy of theater where all the people who it's like you know, that we think like, oh, should you still be doing this? Are all working together on other projects with like writers who shouldn't be doing this, you know? like Oh, <laughs> yeah. No, it's true. Like sometimes oh. I feel like this business is so, so, so small. And then other times I get reminded that there are all of these other pockets that I just have no involvement in. And I, I actually, I got asked to take part in this um, uh, reading thing for this theater company that I had no involvement and I didn't know anyone in it, I got recommended by a mutual friend who <laughs> thought I could do, it doesn't matter. Um, <laughs> it ended up like, I, I was super happy with how that day went, but the, the group, the theater company that I worked with, it was just such a different vibe from what I was mm -hmm. used to, but everyone there seemed totally stoked about it in a way that I wasn't necessarily. And it was a nice reminder that, like, there are these totally different pockets that everyone's doing their own thing. On the topic of should I just be an accountant? So, Brandon, you actually have a degree in, is it electrical engineering? That is correct. It's like a, a real profession. <laughs> yeah. I, I would counter and say that writing is a real profession. Or that's what I whisper to myself every morning to get out of bed. <laughs> um yeah, it is. I think also that people often respond with surprise to that. And yet, I don't think it's that strange. And yes, that's because I'm me. But also, most people, I would guess, or at least a sizable chunk of people, do something completely unrelated to what their undergraduate degree is in. That's true. And I would say that many of my classmates uh, as electrical engineers probably I probably half went on to do further electrical engineering work entered academia or did something directly related to the field and half probably ended up doing 
consulting or finance or, or who knows what else. Um, and I mean, I don't think I would want for the world to know. And I feel like I'm putting some people I know on blast here, but they're never going to listen to this podcast that I view people who have a degree in say pure mathematics and work in finance with the same disdain people probably view me for having a real degree of electrical engineering and going into musical theater. I didn't mean to throw any shade or disdain. <laughs> I was the oh, follow-up no, I, I don't was going to do, But I, I believe many people in the world feel that way. And, you know, I, I feel very strongly in the opposite direction. I was going to ask if it gave you, if you think it changed at all the way, if there's any sort of like creativity or problem solving from that sort of scientific stuff that you think crosses over into creativity and problem solving in making theater? This is actually my favorite question ever to be asked because I've been asked it many, many times. And unlike the other most common theater inside baseball related question I get, which is, which comes first, the words or the music? Mm -hmm. I don't hate it. Um, what would you say if you did? Oh my goodness. Well, we don't, we can get there later, but <laughs> In terms of uh, I, this question, I remember I was first asked by Adam Gettle, uh, which <laughs> which is not th what you expected me to say, probably. But he he came to a class I had in college and spoke to us. And it was a general musical theater class. It, like it was technically an English class that studied musical theater from an English major kind of perspective. And. Uh, many people in this class were English majors who thought, oh, that'll be fun. And I was a person who loved theater, who was taking this as an elective outside of my science and tech classes. And Adam Gettle came to this class, and which was amazing because at the time, you know, we were in college and we all loved myths and hymns. Um, although I would say Floyd Collins is my favorite of his works. I love Floyd Collins so much. It is very, very good. There's so many things in Floyd Collins that don't sound like anything else. No, right? It's very sui generis. I, uh, a word that I was told by a friend I recently used on another musical theater podcast and they had to look up. Will you just tell us? I don't know what it means. It means uh, of its own genre, hmm. I think. I, and I'm not, some Latin person is going to write in to the, you mm. to let you know that. We do no, get a lot not. of mail. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but it, it means sort of, one of a kind, I guess. Is, uh, mm -hmm. uh, but um, but I think the, the generis sort of implies that it, it creates its own genre, um, I think. Uh, that's how I've been using it, if I'm using it wrong. As, as I've noted, you discuss vocabulary a lot on this <laughs> podcast, which is one of the things I love about it. And, and now you're part of a long tradition. I know. It's wonderful. It's <laughs> wonderful, to, wonderful to feel that I'm part of something now. But... Uh, in any case, Adam Gettle asked, uh, there were a few of us who had gathered, it was sort of a special pre-whole class thing where the people who were really interested in having a special, not master class, but just like session with Adam Gettle before regular class could email the, the professor and, and request to be on the, on the list. Uh, I obviously did. And so we had this Q&A with him and he somehow ascertained that I was an electrical engineer. I, we were in s the middle of another question conversation, um, and he was really wonderful with the students. And he said, do you feel that your engineering knowledge somehow factors into the way you think about how songs work together, how a musical is put together? And 
at the time I said, oh, no, I never want to think about these things being related because I was having such a tough time in, in an, a very difficult uh, uh, subject matter in electrical engineering and was really loving all the theater stuff I was doing. Um, now, many years later, I, I could not have been more wrong, I think. I think they're absolutely related. I think that building a circuit or solving a algorithm is the same to me as what I do when I'm writing a song whether it, on on every level in in fractals of levels whether it is putting the whole show together from a book writing perspective or constructing how one song works or just building one chord sequence in a song i think they're all the same as what what engineering was to me and how my mind solved those problems and thought about fourier transforms and continuous functions and uh, you know all manner of signals and systems and uh, you know jpeg compression and whatever else that might have entailed this is making me think about uh, maybe in our first episode that we recorded or the first one we released we were talking about sam being a math miner and how if at all like mathiness informed how you approached work and it is making me think that i feel like i tend to come at stuff from like I mean, I love writing emotionally driven, but also I think I tend to default to like looking at things kind of in an analytical way. And I'm always thrown when I'm working with someone, I guess I'm usually thinking of performers who, like working with a performer who doesn't read music, you know, and it feels like this more amorphous, less analytical process. And it's always, that's always scary to me. Mm. I, that's, it's interesting because I recently was having conversations with friends um, my in the slack chat that we created uh, which i don't use slack at work but i do use it to talk to my group of friends who are in an online trivia league together um, and we were discussing a question that involved that showed a uh, an excerpt of a score and i commented that it was a question asked to identify the composer of this work and it was uh, of the work with this repeating chord progression which you might even be able to guess was Pockel Bell just from the description. The, the Can work I say with that's this. a hard <laughs> trivia question? But it, 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 I didn't. I thought it was fairly easy, and I think you know most people did pretty well in it if they knew Pockel Bell's can at all, or if they thought, "Oh, I'll just guess a composer who has a." We had recently had another question about Pockel Bell, I think, that had to do with repeating uh, cello lines or something. But that's so tangential to this point, but. I noted, I said there was an error in the question because it said it was D, A, B, and it should be a B minor in, in the written chord, uh, in the chords above the, mm. the staff. And everyone else, uh, or, you know, two other people said, oh, I didn't even, I just, like, sight read. And I was like, oh, man, I could never imagine being able to sight read like that. And they said, how, don't you write music? How can you write music if you can't read it? And I said, well, no, I can read music. I just can't hear it in my head when I read it. I can only read it as as text, and I would have to play it to, to hear it. I can only, and I have to transcribe what I'm hearing on, I have to plunk it out and then write it down. I, ca I can only do that. I never learned, I didn't learn music early enough as a child, I don't think, or I, I learned to love music and appreciate it, but I didn't learn the technical side of, of how to 
uh, be a musician early enough for that to be something I have the time to train my brain to do. Um, and yet it was fascinating to me that I all thought they're all baffled by the idea that I could write music and not, not be a good sight reader, but you know, I don't know. There, there are plenty of people who can do it. I certainly prefer to work with singers who can read music because um, they're very easy to teach, right. and I know how to do that. And I'm not good at music directing or anything. So if it's a situation where I'm just working with them one on one, especially when I'm working with, as we mentioned before, Hana, she sings a lot of demos for me or does concerts because I know she can turn it around really quick, and I know I can. I have easy access to rehearsal time with her <laughs> if our, our schedules are free at the same time often. So, uh, you know, but it's very easy for me to communicate what the music is to her because it's written down and I know that she can read it. If it weren't, it would be very hard for me to understand how that process works. And I, and of course, often, you know, music directors teach by playing and, and singing, but I, I also sing very poorly. I also don't play any instruments very well. Yeah, people are always surprised that I can't play my own stuff. That is that has hampered me, and I'm sure you found this too. That has made it so much more difficult to, like, just do the practical s- business stuff of uh, being a musical theater writer. In what way? I feel like if you can play and sing your own stuff, it's so much easier to just like get up there and jump on the piano and like be in a concert and be like, oh, hey, hey, this is a new song I wrote. Here it is. I'll just put up my little lyric sheet on my phone and just take you through it. And I have to, I have to write it all. Like if it's a new song, I have to write it all out first, which I do anyway because, due to the fact that I can't, I don't have some of those skills. In order to compose it, I ha- to finish it, I have to write it down because I don't really make all the decisions about what the chords should be or where exactly the melody should go or how exactly the rhythm should work until I write it down. I play it back. I change my mind about things I go and edit it I need to do that on paper um, or in in the software and I feel like so I have to do that I have to print it out I have to email it to them I have to find some time to make sure they can learn it I have to find an accompanist Um, you know that's that's a hundred other things that a person who can just like sit down and play their own thing at some open mic night can just go well, do you feel like an open mic? Because well, the way that you said it's like it's it's hampered your career, and I guess like my question is, you know, we can talk about this. Like, is an open mic night having that big of an effect on your? Like, how do you feel about that? Oh no, you know, I I don't think that's so much, but it it does. It factors into other things too. Making demos becomes much more of a process sure. because I have to find other I'm I also don't have a lot of I've gotten better at this but I don't have a lot of ideal recording situation things going on you know all of the all of these things it's easier if you can play your own piano track and and make it sound good yeah it's easier if you can sing and record your own demo and just make it more hastily um you know I obviously benefit from the fact that I always have Hana on hand to do if I need a a woman's vocal but if I need a a male vocal on something or a duet or anything then I have to go find another singer and then it becomes a whole other thing and so in terms of uh, applying for 
the various grants and awards in terms of just submitting to things. I find it very hard to get good copies of my work. That takes it just takes a long time. It's a painstaking process. And and you know, it it's just just another part of why I wish I were independently wealthy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, cuz beyond what you're saying about not being able to play as well as you might like or sing as well as you might like, it it also just like adds up to a lot of money. Yeah. Yeah. And it or or just a lot of calling in favors from people yeah. and and trying to build trust and I mean there are a lot of people who I enjoy working with and who are who are wonderful and I found and who are willing to you know do such things and I call them in but I also hate having to ask people to you know do things uh, in in that sort of like quick and cheap way where yeah. uh, you know I don't I'm like well I I I, I want to be able to compensate you fairly for what I believe to be worthwhile work that that should be paid for but unfortunately th- that's not how capitalism decided the arts would work so here we are do you feel similarly about about this about paying people no, or I, well yes but also about um this process of creating demos or of uh, or yeah. just like how how it is to be a writer who yeah. doesn't necessarily play or sing their own stuff for me i feel like the biggest impediment is that I think it helps if you can sell your personality. Like, if you're Joe Iconis, who is, like, the funniest, most charming human ever, and you can just walk up on stage and, like, make some jokes, and people feel like they know you, and then they like their songs, which come from you. Not that I don't think everyone's work... You know, I think all the people who have a personality that we know and love also have work that we know and love. But even just for people to remember you as, like, an Uh entity creating work... Like branding-wise. Yeah. Yeah. And I've definitely, I've been told that before, you know, like, that you should make sure to get up there and, like, play at least one song on a concert so people even know what the face of the person who wrote this thing Mm. is. And it's... How do you feel about that? I think that's probably true, but then I wonder if you come and play your own stuff so badly, (laughs) is it more of a hurt than a help? Mm. Huh. The thing I think about the paying people thing is it's always so hard for me to believe it's like on one on one hand I do feel very strongly that like people are doing work and work deserves to be compensated in some way or another you know at least as a gesture to show I know that you are doing a craft and I'm benefiting from it and then it's like at the same time I want to believe this narrative where like we're all just having so much fun (laughs) here isn't it fun to like come to a room and make art together well I mean I do not, pay not to dispel <laughs> this nar- not to dispel this narrative <laughs> but like I do think cuz I do if you ever need someone to record a demo Brandon I'm around. Oh I know and Sam. I, and you don't have to pay me because <laughs> we're friends. Like I think I think there's a community that becomes a big part of and we've talked about this on the podcast before like creating a artistic community and having these people who are sharing your values and sort of sharing your artistic energy that I think um, like I, I if someone asked me to record a demo and I liked them and had worked with them before and wanted to keep working with them I I wouldn't ever expect them to pay me and maybe that maybe I'm like selling myself short by saying that but um, like I am doing work but I'm also like it's complicated because in this industry we're like 
we, we have skills that we're using, but we're also like satisfying our own personal artistic needs when we do things like this. Yeah. So I think there's more of a balance than maybe than than maybe we sometimes think. Hmm. Maybe? Yeah, no, I think that makes sense. I, I do like the model of inviting people over to do a demo and then you ha- you buy them dinner. Yeah. That's, I, I do that a lot and have seen that a lot. And yeah. Th- that one that one that one works nicely in a sort of artist barter economy that, that feels that feels like it has that sense of camaraderie and, and we're all in this togetherness while also having a recognition of the value of our of what we sell because uh, I do think you know I feel very strongly and, and this relates to things I've, I've said previously about you know uh, people's opinions of, of arts majors and such things but that um, art is expensive and worth money and people pay a lot of money for it and you know, uh, I think often of, of Mr. Burns, if you ever saw that uh, wonderful play that ultimately is about the fact that, uh, I mean, it's about so many things, but I think a large part of uh, the second act especially is about how art is worth paying for and art is maybe even worth killing for. And just, we don't, we, we in our minds, in our discussions in society often undervalue it and dismiss it and yet consume it every day and require it and need it to live. Um, perhaps not need it to live, but certainly have made it a, a centerpiece of our lives as human beings. And we don't often recognize that even as we live it out. I think about that too with pricing about like, I feel like it, like the stage I'm at in my career the biggest thing I want is for more people to like know about my stuff, to like listen to it, period, which would point to very much like make everything free all the time. But then I feel like mm. there's a sense of, I might've talked about this before too, like legitimization of like, oh, but if I charge you for it, you know, it shows that I think I have worth. I have an online store where you can purchase my sheet music. Uh, it is all entirely unsuitable for auditions because none <laughs> of it is in 4-4 um <laughs> but <laughs> but you can and i have sold upwards of a half dozen over the course of two or three years so i've made no money from it but every time i get that paypal notification that some random presumably bfa kid somewhere has has for some reason purchased one of my songs on sheet music i mean it, it's it's just it seems to always come to a time when i'm thinking like oh, this is none of this is ever gonna work and and it's just that tiny little shining light that says well one person took a chance on this so maybe i love that I wish that actors had that sort of thing too, like just a built-in stream of validation <laughs> for now and then. <laughs> um, I've definitely had that experience though, when I'm feeling dejected, and then suddenly someone will just give me a a, a push. Um, but usually, I wonder 
sometimes I wonder it it doesn't matter that's we shouldn't talk about that <laughs> I've already talked about this too much <laughs> that sometimes I just wonder if I should be here at all but um well Sam I think you should be I think you should be too obviously there's your stream of validation <laughs> thank you so much I wasn't fishing <laughs> um I have a question for you, oh and I'm gonna re- I'm gonna read it. Oh no! Um, because I was on I was on your website. Oh no! Oh, see, it's funny because I build this website so people will look at it, and then every time I hear that someone has been to it, it terrifies me. Which is I have so a similar awful. feeling. Like when when I find out that people are paying attention to me, even though I've like created a career where like the point is for people to pay attention to me i get so weirded out i I, and well this goes back to that sort of branding question which i think which well you should read your question but we should get talking more about branding because i think you No, my question can wait because we're on we're off and running i mean this goes back to that branding thing of i don't know i feel like and it's not like an imposter syndrome thing where it's like, oh, I'm not, uh, am I really good enough? Oh, should people look at my stuff? I, I do want people to see my stuff, but I don't have the time to devote to being a marketing department for myself. So I know that whatever is out there is not the best that it could be, but I need something to be out there. So I, I settle for that and it, it, the part of me that's a perfectionist is always bothered by the knowledge that whatever they're seeing is not is not a hundred percent what I wish I could be presenting to but them. What do you mean? What do you wish you could be presenting? I wish that uh, every video I had was perfect uh-huh. and and not taken by you know some camera operator who i i have so many videos from concerts i've done where the song performance is amazing and the video quality is garbage this is i don't know what you're talking (laughs) about um (laughs) this is not to cast aspersions on any particular venue or person because there are many Uh, (laughs) but i feel like that that kills me when that happens because it's like this you know, there's nothing I can do about it. There's no recourse to that. And yet if it had been good, think of what this could have been. Yeah. And so that always frustrates me. And then knowing that my website is, is designed and run and updated by a person who has a day job and should be spending all of his other spare time writing, uh, which is me. I am not sure if I clearly (laughs) phrase that construction, but obviously I do all this. So the website is, is, priority wise not high enough for it to be good no matter what it's passable i think and i'm happy with what it is for what amount of time i can put into it but and i hate that i sort of have to put all this self-deprecation out there of i feel like every time i put out any kind of marketing or publicity for myself it always contains some kind of haha secretly this is terrible because this is all i have time for and that irks me because i don't want to have to qualify everything that i do because i do believe that it is good and in my heart i believe uh, if you could see the version of this that was ideal you would know i was the greatest (laughs) (laughs) but it's hard to convey that and also provide them with what i have and convince them that both of those things are true so my question which i brought up has about your website has a little bit to do with that because 
it's it's not that it's not that it's self-deprecating. It's just that it's a little bit tongue-in-cheek. So I'm just gonna mm. read it. And okay, so in your about section, oh, I know what this it is. It says Brandon Michael Loudon is a book writer, composer, and lyricist whose work deals with contemporary themes like self-loathing and love gone bad, as well as more traditional musical theater subjects like women's sports and artificial intelligence. Which feels a little tongue-in-cheek to me because I don't think anyone would classify those topics as traditional musical theater subjects. But I guess what I'm curious about is like, I mean, I know you have an opinion because you have lots of opinions, but like, (laughs) do you have an opinion about the idea of like what makes like compelling musical theater subject matter? Oh, oh, this is not at all where I thought oh, that what question was, was leading. I thought you were just leading to a conversation and one that I feel like you and I implicitly have constantly about the way one presents oneself on oh. the internet. And, and I mean, I think I can just sum that up by saying Sam once posted asking how many of your Facebook posts or something like this, how many of your Facebook posts, what percent of your Facebook posts do you think are sincere? And I said 100. And uh-huh. which I don't agree with, which you don't agree you, with, but I do agree with for me, but it seems like people don't think I post things completely sincerely. <laughs> but I feel that what I do is always sincere. It's just that I feel that my sort of drier ideas of humor and sort of not sarcastic comments, but just kind of oblique commentary is i feel truthful in the way that i intend to be sincere i okay but uh, apart from the fact that like you pretend to not know what dogs are oh yeah but that's like i was actually wondering if we could clear that up on the podcast (laughs) if there's any way we can find out get to the bottom of what they are i I, the that's just a bit i feel that my bits are sincere I, i don't think anyone believes that i sincerely do not know what dogs are i I watch the Westminster Dog Show every year, and I know many facts about many breeds. But your bafflement about dogs is sincere. Your wonder at the weirdness of them. Oh, yes. Oh, I am more fascinated by the coevolution of humans and dogs than almost any subject, which I think would make good musical subject matter or good theatrical Mm. subject matter. We do you know that Gordon and I are now writing a show which may or may not have six live dogs in it? <laughs> Julie, this is devastating because now you've reverse robot dogged me. Because <gasps> no. like now I feel like I can't write my long backburnered show about dogs. You definitely still can. Ours is sort of about natural disasters too. Oh, interesting. I can't wait to see this, by the way. Um, I am deeply worried about how the six live dogs are going to work. <laughs> My idea is based on it's going to have to have puppetry and we're going to have maybe one live dog that's like a surprise at the end. Ooh, like Lieutenant Divinishman style? Yes. <laughs> maybe not exactly like that. <laughs> uh, but I I feel that... Uh, but it's, it's a play. It's a play. It's my... One of my ideas for... Just a regular old play that I've been kicking around, and it would be kind of an episodic thing. It would be a bunch of short vignettes, all having to do with the relationship between dogs and people, 
throughout history and in our world tied together by sort of one overarching narrative that was inspired by uh, an email that went to a listserv I was on asking for someone who maybe a writer or something who would come and just spend time with my slowly dying dog during the day while I can't be there. So they have companionship while they're until, you know, whatever their terminal illness is, it runs its course, which was one of the most heartbreaking and strange things I've ever encountered. And I, though I was not the man for the job, I thought, Oh boy, that like, there's something in that. And that, that has stuck with me. And, and I've thought about, you know, especially what if it's someone who just wanted the time to write and isn't really a big dog person, which could have been me, though I've I've turned the corner on dogs, I think. Uh, this, you know, I don't know if this is the ideal subject matter for a musical theater podcast, but I, I am fascinated by dogs and humans and how we got here. There, I'm so excited for it. There's three upcoming dog movies this summer. Uh, dog Days, which is coming out... Uh, I, early August, whenever this comes out, I don't know, but if it's in theaters, go see it. I've been calling it Dogs Actually because <laughs> it's essentially... It really looks it's like, like that. Love Actually, New Year's Day, Valentine's Day, whatever. That, that series of sort of like mm-hmm. intersecting huge cast rom-coms but with dogs. And I mean, I... Well, this this actually ties into another sort of conversation about sincerity and because people often question if I really do you really like that or do you like it ironically and my answer is always I never like any I don't like anything ironically I can't I killed that enemy long ago like the part of me that like things ironically is dead and and I've triumphed over it and that doesn't mean my enjoyment of things is always because they're unequivocally brilliant <laughs> it's I can sincerely enjoy something that is bad and I don't think there's a problem with that. And I think I can enjoy something for what it is, even if I think it's riddled with problems. Um, and I intend to enjoy dog days, which comes out by the same, by the way, that on the same day as Axel, a movie about a robot dog. <gasps> Ooh, I, I mean, and just there's just there, and there, and there's a movie called Alpha that I think is going to be stupid, but it's about like a, a, a like cave boy and the wolf he meets and sort of the 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 first dog or something. I don't know. That, I mean, incomprehensibly stupid to me seemed the trailer, but I'm I'm there on opening night. I mean, well, so I am curious about this because it seems like you definitely have a category of things that like. I don't think I'll enjoy it. I think it's dumb. And there's a category of things. It's like, I love it despite or because of its flaws. Do you have a sense of like, what differentiates those two categories? It's really hard for me to say. I think that the answer might be if it brings me genuine joy. And I think to do that, it either has to be it either has to contain real joy or be so ludicrously an example of something terrible as to delight me to no end. <laughs> and and I think you know, I I often I often use and I, I wrote an essay once about this, which you can like probably find if you like go to my website. But 
I use the example of the CBS television program Zoo, which I legitimately enjoyed every second of and was utterly and terribly absurd, but was just so the effort to make it so crazy and insane brought me such happiness. And it, it is a show, just to summarize, where animals have turned against people and it follows this team of of randomly uh, assembled people who are trying to stop the animals from taking over the world without killing them. And uh, I mean, it's, it's nonsensical start to finish. And I just enjoy that so much. I love Dan Brown novels, which I think are schlocky and terrible in, in sort of his writing and the way he does it. But I also legitimately enjoy the thrill and suspense and solving puzzles based on, on, you know, colonialist works of art and, (laughs) And and at the same time, rec- you know, and I also find genuine joy in the absurdity of how how stereotyped every character is and how predictable every element of it is. There's there I don't. It's hard for me to explain why, but I think I think the thing itself has to be unabashed in mm. some way, and it it has to not care that it's terrible. And I, I think the, the counter example I use against zoo was a show that was on at the same time, which was the second season of true detective, which was just a slog and it was so self-important and, and pretentious. And I think, you know, that's also how I feel about a lot of things I hate. I hate things that sort of linger in their own, just whatever they're, they think they're doing without being interesting to me. I mean, I guess it's a matter of taste. I don't know that I'm really answering this question, but I suppose I could end by saying that I saw Mamma Mia 2, and it is among the greatest films ever made, in my opinion. And I, and I recognize that that is not objectively true to <laughs> most people, but I don't mean it ironically or just, oh, even though it's silly. Like, I legitimately felt so much from it and thought it was so well put together in so many ways. And I think some of people's assumption that I'm being insincere about the things I love is because I, I have found a way to love things that I think a lot of people have been taught to question. And I don't think that's because I'm special in any way. It's just that I have wrestled with that a long time and decided that I, I don't care how I'm supposed to view a thing and that might be wrong but it has freed me to enjoy many things that I think other people feel qualms about enjoying from a a literary and critical standpoint that I understand but don't care about anymore but still do care about when I'm writing things Mm so to (laughs) go back to Sam's question which I do want to hear the answer to Oh, yeah. Yeah, of right. What you All think. of this was a way of escaping answering his question, which I will be honest, the one thing I did think about talking about on this podcast was this. I somehow knew you would ask me about this. I don't know if it came to me in a dream or uh, if it was just magic. I don't know. It's probably in my mind because I uh, told Shoshana on her podcast when she asked me for a bio to read when introducing me at the beginning of her show, I sent her a modified version of that. And when I listened to it, I thought, 
I wonder what people will think. <laughs> <laughs> what I hope they think is because it yes, it is tongue in cheek, I think, but I, I don't think that people think I legitimately believe that those are, you know, common subjects for musical theater. But I also hope they don't think that I am trying to be like, oh, I'm so weird and different. Uh-huh. I just want to give them a sense of that I just am interested in these things and I'm going to do whatever that is. Yeah, but so what do you think it is that draws you to those things? You know, I don't I don't know. I I guess I just love musical theater as a way of telling a story. And if something seems like an interesting story to me, then I'm interested in it as a musical. Which is not to say I don't enjoy other things or think that the same stories couldn't be told in other media. But there's something about... I guess those are subject matter that also are not often explored by musical theater. And I I like seeing things that are unexpected or just not the first thing I would think of I yeah I don't want to put again not trying to come on here and put people on blast but there are certain public domain stories that we have enough of and never need to be made into a musical again probably and Again, I don't want to name names, but I just feel like there are wells that are returned to often in this field. And it is always refreshing to see a story about something that I didn't know before or wouldn't have thought of. Floyd Collins is a great example. Floyd Collins is a story that I was unaware of and was amazed to learn was a a real thing. But even fictional ones where I just, oh, I wouldn't have thought this was a thing. I wouldn't have thought this was a story I, I, I had, had conceived of before. Um, you know, and now I'm starting to ramble, so please jump in. But I <laughs> feel this way about a lot of, uh, you know, uh, Gordon and Julia musicals. They, they always oh, tend yeah. to focus on subject matter where I, it's just so specific. I think that's, maybe that's my answer. I love things that are specific niches. And... I, because I love to find that other people are interested in those niches and share that with them. or But also if you're interested in them, it makes it easier to write a compelling show. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I, I... And there are things I'm passionate about that I think theater people might not necessarily be passionate about because I don't often talk to theater people about them. But then, you know two of us wanted to write the robot dog song so maybe I'm wrong <laughs> about that uh, but also once you find a subject that you're interested in it's a well you keep returning to and you see this in you know there is a commonality through somehow Sweeney Todd and Sunday in the Park with George even though those are both such specific and weird and different subjects but I think they're both about obsession in a way so once you have something that that is a theme that you understand that you feel deeply about you want to write about that in different specific ways and i think in a way the story of our relationship with dogs and our relationship with the machines that we build that will perhaps one day 
outlast us is the same story. Hmm. And there's, there's something about that that interests me, I guess. And, you know, women's sports doesn't fit into that exact continuum, but I do find it compelling because it's, you know, and well, there again, I'm not the only one. I feel like there's also a Gordon Julia musical about women's <laughs> sports. Um, this explains why we became so, uh, you know, artistically interested in each other's work. It's that true. Makes sense. <laughs> I guess the thing that I'm most interested about the way that you wrote this blurb on your website is that there's an implication that like those topics, sh- like there's an implication that you think that most people don't think those topics would be well explored in musicals. Is that true? Huh? Cause like, I guess what I'm getting at is like, why, why do you think that is? Oh man. Feel free to jump in. <laughs> I don't, I don't know. Like, am I, am I missing the mark here? No, you're making me rethink this blurb. You <laughs> know that I'm going to go home and rewrite this. Well, now I have to leave it because people are going to go on my <laughs> website True. after that. Everyone who listens to this podcast, the thousands of listeners, are going to mm. go read all my stuff, buy a bunch of my songs. Exactly. I guess I feel like – no, I do feel that way because – I guess I'm writing it for a much wider audience than I is ever actually going to read it. And I just realized that now because I think Mm -hmm. in my mind, if you ask me who's ever going to go to your website, it's probably hopefully someone who's going to give me a job. And I have had people learn about me from my website or, or at least I've interacted with them and then they've found out more from my website and then some, something fruitful has come of it. Um, and at times, uh, you know, that has worked, I guess. But I don't think, yeah, I, I guess in my mind, I'm like, oh, the viewers at home in, in you know, somewhere in Iowa are just cruise, cruising the net looking for a hip new musical theater writer. And, and they're going to see this, which makes no sense, which is never, ever going to happen. But somehow that's who I wrote that blurb for is for people who think only the musicals that come through the local touring theater are what there are and don't realize it's a whole world of other things. I mean, I have, I have theater friends who are not musical theater people who have what I think is a terrible, bad, uninformed garbage opinion of musicals where they think that, Oh, they're all like this and, and they're, they're not sincere and, they're not serious and then uh, you know i just they couldn't be more wrong in my mind and and most of the musicals that they cite are ones that i barely even think about right um or there are people who think of oklahoma as being sort of a oh yeah it's like a generic sort of oh musicals they're like this and it's not serious when oklahoma is incredibly dark and and filled with all kinds of stuff and uh weird problems and and strange innovations and uh for some reason that isn't how the world at large and the culture at large views musicals in the same way that we have this bad way of thinking about art and the people who make it and the people who want to grow up to make it and 
so I guess that blurb is for them to kind of say, yeah, to rib them a little and say, well, no, this is what I, you don't think that this is what musicals would be about, but this is actually what they are yeah. about. So I guess the answer is that I wrote that for the wrong audience, but I do feel it's very truthful. <laughs> it reminds oh, me of, oh, sorry. Go ahead. This is sort of a tangent, but just people who don't think they like reading because they haven't found like the book for them. Yeah. It's like a similarly sad thing of like, it's out there. Yeah. I mean, you know, and I don't want to sound like the person saying, oh, you just don't like sushi because you haven't had good sushi because mm -hmm. that's been said to me thousands of times. Um, but there is there is some sense of that. People I think there's more of a sameness to sushi than there is to the canon <laughs> musical theater. Yeah. <laughs> We don't. We don't need to get into food takes on here. Then you'll get mail <laughs> once they once the people hear my my pizza opinions. Oh, 